Everyone, hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen, and I am sitting here with Margaret Cho in Margaret Cho's house. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. It's a rocking song. Thank you very much. It's really good. And you would know from rocking. I was yes. telling you before we started your new album, American Myth. I love it. Thank you. It's so the songs are so beautiful. You have such a pretty voice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what has been your relationship with music? Um, I've been doing, um, well, I've been doing music, making music for about 10 years. I, um, started, um, playing guitar and, um, I played piano when I was a really little kid and then both my parents were musicians. So it's something that I had, um, a little bit of a background in. And, and then when you do comedy, you're always around music. You're always going to shows really late, hanging out with musicians. We have the same lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So you end up seeing musicians over time, um, Musicians always want to be comedians, and comedians always want to be musicians. There's something sort of, the grass is always greener. There's a kind of envy that we both have um, for each other's work. And so um, I've just uh, been able to be around this for a long time and absorb a lot of information, and so I wanted to make albums. Mm -hmm. And this album is your debut as a composer. Yes. Right? So I, I, I uh, before this, I hadn't really... Um, put notes together, but now um, I'm a little more proficient at, at uh, playing. So, and, and I, I can put uh, songs together. And so I, I feel really excited about that. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So you, I find you very inspiring. You, you strike me as someone who projects an image of fearlessness. Mm -hmm. Are, do you feel fearless? No, I mean, I'm con consumed by fear, but then there's no, even if you're feeling fear, there's no reason to make that, uh, a sort of stand in the way of anything. You know, that, mm -hmm. that fear is something that everybody's going to feel and that you, it's actually unreliable too, because you can never sort of predict when you're going to feel it or what, what's going to be scary. Um, but you have to continually do, uh, everything. And, um, I just think, you just have to show up and do it and, and express what you want to do. The fear is going to be there no matter what, so you can't really do anything about that. What are the kind of things that scare you? Well, like this past week, I was in Seoul, which I'm very jet-lagged, so I was like asleep until you got here, oh. so I'm a little out of it. <laughs> um, the, uh, the project was to – they have a version of S SNL, Saturday Night Live, and it's um, very, like the country's biggest show. Um, much like here, you know, it's mm -hmm. a very similar relationship to the the nation, and and so they they do a lot of current events comedy and everything, but they've never done stand up comedy before ever. So I appeared on the show. Um, they don't speak English in Korea at all, and and so I had to perform comedy in English to an audience that did not understand what I was talking about. So they had to um, sort of try to subtitle it so that it made sense with the timing and. Mm. Um, so, and I had to perform, and it's live. So I had to perform on live television to an audience who did not understand a word I was saying at all. <laughs> How'd it go? It went great. It went great because the, the way that I worked with the, with the show and their subtitling, it all worked out really magically. It mm -hmm. went 
phenomenally. And also they had the highest ratings they've had in a long, like in a while, like they were really, really happy with it. But before I had to go on, it was this incredible fear of like, well, I mean, I'm doing comedy. They'd never seen comedy before. They'd never seen me before, which is also an odd thing because I'm Korean American. You're, you're born. You're born in Seoul, right? Well, I was born in America, but I, I spent a lot of time in Seoul as a kid. So right. I, I hadn't, but I hadn't been there since the seventies. Mm. So this is like a very um, far off relationship that I have with this nation, anyway. And wanting to go there and work and and uh, break into this incredible industry that they have. Um, so it, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed. And then also the incredible language barrier. <laughs> like that's a really big deal to go to an age. I, and I, I perform all over the world, but in the places I perform, I, I usually have a sense of people understanding English and that, right. that's not a problem. Um, but this is where I really, I, and I, I speak Korean to some degree, but not well enough to do comedy. I did some jokes in Korean, but it was not, um, as much as I should have been doing, or that I thought I should have been doing, but it was very, it was very terrifying. Right. But you know, you get through the fear. I I had to remember that the fear is not really um, anything that I can change. You're going to feel the fear, and then you have to do it. It it, it feels very uh, scary sometimes. Also, when you don't heed your fears, mm-hmm. like when you have these fears and then you don't heed them, it's sort of you're going against nature. In a way, but right. you gotta just do it. Well, I guess there's that. I mean, because some of, some fears are just like these sort of irrational fears that hold you back. But then mm-hmm. I guess there's there could you could look at it like no, these fears are here to sort of try to keep me safe. Mm-hmm. Like is yeah. that what you're saying? Like of if you course. just ignore that, you're ignoring your like fight or flight yeah. instincts. It's an instinctual, natural reaction, but it's not a mastodon. It's comedy. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a camera. It's not a dinosaur. It's not like an actual legitimate fear. The worst thing that can happen is that they don't understand what I'm saying. And then it doesn't matter. Plus, they've never seen comedy before. So they don't have a sense that anybody's supposed to laugh. Yeah. They don't know what's supposed to happen because it's not a social construct there. So it's a lot of things. But they, they all laughed at the right places. And, and it was all very good. But it was so terrifying. So speaking of... um potentially tough crowds. Mm-hmm. I was watching you on In Bed with Joan, mm-hmm. which was hilarious. Thank you. But you mentioned, no, it wasn't, that wasn't what it was. It, I was watching your stand up mm-hmm. and you were talking about having talked to Joan about the fact that you performed at like a rape charity. Yeah, it was a, it was a charity for a rape center. It was all very suspect because the head of it was a man, which is fine. I mean, men get raped too, but he wasn't there for, I mean, it was, <laughs> wasn't there for the right reasons, like was, The Bachelor? No, it was. It was all. It was not. It. It was not shady or anything. But I just was a little taken aback when it was meant. And then it was a kind of people who, um, you know, sometimes when there is sexual abuse, there's an a, a tendency to go into this place of real uh, puritanical thinking. Mm. We don't want sexuality around you in any way. You don't want to talk about it. You don't. You know, there's like that real sex negative crowd that kind of yeah. comes out of sexual abuse because it's like sex leads to abuse. Yes. So, or I'm abusing myself or I'm somehow, um, I don't know, a degrading myself by talking about it, or I'm using this to make fun of those who have been abused. Mm-hmm. And, um, my point is like, as a, as a comedian, as I talk about sexual abuse, because I think that it's an important thing to, 
discuss in this arena where I have a lot of control and power and I, I want to bring my uh, history into this and, and, and make people understand what it is to be a survivor. And so we had a very, very big disagreement about what should be talked about as a survivor mm-hmm. to survivors. So it was really, really bad. And then Jonah done the same benefit. That's um, an annual thing. It's a very, very big thing, very prestigious event. And yet they have people perform that they just hate. <laughs> so like they pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to have a, a performer there they're going to despise. No matter who it is, these all female comedians, especially now, do talk a lot about sexuality and do talk a lot about owning that, you know, and it, um, the natural progression. I know they're going to ask Amy Schumer if they haven't already, and they're going to hate hate everything. They hated me. They hated Joe. They're going to hate everybody they hire. Do they hate comedy? And I think so. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> I think they hate comedy, but they also want to appear as if um, they are liberated and are free. And then they, you know, after I did my performance, they immediately uh, demanded that I apologize. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's not a big deal for me to apologize. I'm sorry that, uh, I'm not sorry for myself that what I did, I'm sorry for your reaction. Was the audience, how did the audience, sounds like the like officials were didn't, furious. Yeah, but how did the audience take it? Um, the audience were kind of, they thought it was kind of funny, but they also were very uncomfortable around the other people like reacting, you know, the, there was people there. I'd followed a woman who uh, was talking about her rape and um, so it was not like the easiest room anyway, because people were very upset because this woman is talking about her um, experience. And then I, I went on after and I, I was also talking about my experience, but that the fact that I wasn't asking for people to cry, that I was asking for people to laugh about it. That's why they got so upset. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was it wasn't that the the victim or the survivor and I were that different but we were just demanding different reactions for the same experience. Right. Getting contact anxiety, just thinking about yeah, <laughs> it's, it's And I was furious. I was so angry um, because this is my issue. This is something that I believe very strongly in. And yet, um, you know, when you go into different arenas, you, you decide to take your suffering and reframe it and use it to empower you. Uh, that is upsetting to other people who suffer. Yeah. They don't know how to do that or they are resigned to be a victim. Victims. Um, you hadn't talked about having been a sexual abuse survivor until recently, right? Well, or I had. Had you? But not um, – I couldn't really figure out how to wait, talk about it in comedy. You know, it was very tough because as a comedian, people want to think of you as heroic. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of um, the mythological point of comedy is that – the the comedian is always going to be heroic, no matter how low they have to go. And the lower they have to go, the better. It's kind of uh, entertaining. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing heroic about sexual abuse. And so I could never really figure out how to talk about it. Every time I do, it would stop the show kind of, and then I'd have to get it back. So it's very hard to negotiate that territory as a comedian. I finally figured it out. Um, it took a while. But, uh, so I had been talking about it for a long time, and yet, um, the consciousness about, around rape in society, they were not prepared to deal with that, mm-hmm. you know, or think about it. And, um, now because it's such a big subject, especially because of, um, 
big cases like Bill Cosby and and other other high profile cases about violence towards women um, and domestic violence. I think these issues are so big and important right now that it's sort of caught on more. What 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 clicked for you when you suddenly realized the way in which you could talk about it? Well, it would it's it sort of like. It, it, it sort of took this idea of like, oh, I have to force people into understanding <laughs> everything that I'm I'm thinking about this, and that um, their reaction is actually a way of blaming the victim. That if you don't laugh at this, you are an accomplice. <laughs> so that was like me trying to push off like the, this the, all of the stigma of it onto the the other so that that's kind of how i i figured it out but it's really um it's still very difficult you know and and i think that's the beauty of comedy is that you can use it to tackle very very difficult issues very big issues that seem like there's nothing funny about but then they, mm-hmm. there really is too and your abuser was your uncle mm-hmm. yes and you mentioned it to your parents and mm-hmm. they believed you oh yeah they told they were like oh my mom's like oh i know that he's a rapist because he raped your aunt but so you're not special like this <laughs> like, not just you <laughs> like the thing is is that a lot of um asian families would rather opt for silence mm-hmm. than to deal with abuse because it goes against the idea of being a model minority. It goes against this um, placidity that's demanded from all of us. It's it's wrong. So they allow um, predators to exist in their midst because the silence is more important than justice, which is intolerable to me and has always been. So this is a major issue between my family and I, but also not because it's something they're used to. So it's not they're used to me complaining. Your, okay. Cuz I've been complaining since I was a teenager that mm. the my um you, you know my my uh attitude towards it hasn't changed as I've grown, you know, it's not different. When you mentioned it to them, did they did it con- did it continue after that? No, no. This I I mentioned it to them when I was when it sort of had around when it ended about 12, 13, and then I kept mentioning it, kept talking about it. And, you know, it, it, the thing is, is that um, when you don't deal with it properly, it keeps happening. So that, that happened as a kid, and then it happened continually as an adult. And I, and I think that... Um, it happened meaning you were victimized? Or, I was victimized. And yeah. then, you know, but we didn't have um, those words to deal with it. We didn't have date rape or mm-hmm. the... We didn't what uh, codify rape, that we didn't talk about what it the, it entails and all the different things that it entails. So I think uh, we grapple for that language later on, like in the 80s and 90s, you know, sort of tried to figure that out. But until then, I sort of was stuck in a lot of situations that I shouldn't have been in. Mm-hmm. Um, you became a sex worker at 15? Or phone, you worked yeah, phone, phone sex? Yeah, phone, which is, is, is technically a sex worker. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sex worker light. Yeah. Um, what was that experience like, and do you think that was related to having been sexualized young? Um, I don't know if it was necessarily related, although it just it just seemed to be a a kind of um, easy thing. It, it didn't disturb me because I had already felt very disturbed by other situations, and so what I was I was doing I was doing like um, phone sex, and then I uh, had. Um, this weird, like, recorded phone sex thing where we would write out, like, 
different um, scenarios and sort of talk them out on a recording. So it was all very um, contained mm-hmm. after a while. I wasn't talking to anybody else. Um, and it was a course to learn English. That was also the other <laughs> weird thing is that people would call the line and get extra credit for their English class so that they could um, <laughs> learn how to construct sentences. It was called Hot Girls USA. It was very weird. So that was uh, my job. And then you also were a dominatrix, right? I was not good at it. I, I never <laughs> really, I never really got to do it. I, I tried to, but I worked at a BDSM collective um, for a long time, and I, I established a retail store, and I learned a lot about the sex toy industry. So much so that much later, I became um, a board member at Good Vibrations, which is a very, very big company. Mm-hmm. So I have a background in um, sexuality and also. Um, toys and relationships and, and, and sex work in general. So you have a song on your album, I Want to Kill My Rapist, mm-hmm. which has been stuck in my head. It's, oh, it's like you. a fun thing to walk around <laughs> with it playing in my head. Yeah. Um, I loved the video for it. Thank you. At the end of the video, um, it suggested that, and if, if I have this wrong, correct me, but I think it suggested that the it's sort of a revenge fantasy, that mm-hmm. it didn't really happen. Mm-hmm. Um, was that important to you to, like, were you making a statement about violence with that? Yeah, because it's it's not about actual violence. It's about murdering the memory. And if you can get around that um, and really do that in a very strong way, um, it can uh, it can speed your healing. Mm-hmm. I think that um, what what really is destructive after sexual abuse is silence. So if you allow something to fester, then it can really come back and hurt you. It it for me became self abuse, which was eating disorders and um, a lot of drug issues and alcoholism. And so when you can uh, face an issue like that and reclaim your body somehow, that that that's helpful. And so for me, it wasn't about condoning violence, although. Um, there, there's something to be said for taking action against your abuser, whatever that is, whether that's, um, legal action or, um, some kind of confrontation, I think can be very helpful too. Um, you said, I believe it was in your nylon piece. It might've just been in a different piece on your website. Um, which by the way, I love the design of your website. Oh, thank you. It looks so good. But you said, I don't advocate violence, but I also don't wish to bottle up rage until it corrodes me from within. I also don't advocate forgiveness. That really resonated with me because I've, and I've brought it up on various podcasts. Like I'm really mm-hmm. wrestling with this notion of forgiveness and the people who are like, you forgive for you, not for them. <laughs> I know. That's right. And like I'm, re- and I, I hear it and I want to be, I want to get to that enlightened spot, mm-hmm. but there's just these things in my life that I, I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. So for me to, to read someone say that like they don't advocate forgiveness, I'm like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> Can you yeah. talk a bit about forgiveness? Well, yeah. I'm like you. I'm like, I'm not there yet. And I don't think that that makes me, um, that doesn't devalue me. Right. You know, and, uh, I don't, care that uh it's like taking poison like yes. whatever and it, drinking a cup of poison and, and expecting the other person to die right right <laughs> that's i mean that's all fine like i i think it, it would be great to be that way i'm not that way and mm-hmm. if i don't acknowledge that truth that i'm not that way then i'm lying to myself so i think um it's for me i don't want to take the high road i don't want to be the better person right i'm not turning the other cheek and this is not 
you know, me at all. So for me, it's, um, it's healing to have that rage and to not forgive and to, 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 uh, withhold that Mm -hmm. from others. It's funny. Yeah. It honestly, forgiveness feels like acquiescing Mm -hmm. or, or saying, Hey, it's okay that you mistreated me, even though the people who are all about, and by the way, in general, I think I'm like a pretty forgiving, pacifistic Mm -hmm. kind of turn the other cheek person. Like I see the wisdom in that. Yeah. But the people who are all about forgiveness are like, it's not, it's not condoning it. It's just saying you're not going to let it keep hurting you. But I guess maybe that's that, maybe that's what I'm struggling with. Yeah. Like, but it keeps hurting me if I acknowledge that what they did was okay. Like people Mm -hmm. say about sexual predators, like, oh, well, they were molested too. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't care about that. Like I was, but I'm not doing that to other kids. Like I, I have that same experience. Yeah. I was abused too. I don't use that as an excuse to take it out on others, whereas you didn't have that problem, you know? And it's so um, repulsive to me that people would use their sexual desire as some kind of justification to um, harm children. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a big, big deal. Like, I, I just, um, I don't advocate sympathy for child molesters or, or uh, predators. I'm so, like... I, I don't know. I, I really have a vigilante attitude towards that. Maybe that's dangerous, but it's kind of, I, I, that's just how I feel. You know, I'm not going to act on it, but I, I, I just, I need that kind of catharsis. That's why mm. it's so like, the video is so important for me because all those little kids give me hope. Like when there are all these little kids running up, chasing Jackson into the forest, like I really felt a huge burden lifting from me because I'm letting these little, little babies, they were so beautiful, all these kids, just like having the funnest time running mm-hmm. after this guy. After and, this pretend rapist. Pretend <laughs> rapist, who's one of my best friends too. So it was all, we were all kind of doing like this almost like therapy, like play acting mm-hmm. and all healing each other. And one of the stars who I love in the video, she's a girl who jumps up with the knives. She's, um, when she she was six, she put her abuser in prison forever. She sat on the stand and told everybody what he did and put him away. And so she's ten now, and she's a she's a martial artist and um, a, a survivor's counselor. So she helps other people go to court, like from kids to adults, like to face their abusers in court, which is tremendous. Yeah. So she's like the real hero, you know, and. Um, so to surround yourself with amazing kids who are physically very strong and also have like this incredible strength within, you know, it's really powerful. Mm. Um, switching gears a little bit, I know that you were picked on a lot as a kid, mm-hmm. um, classmates and church. Actually, I'm switching gears even further. I was what I was going to say is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you two questions at once, and you just choose which one okay. or, or answer that, stagger them. What I was going to say is, was your ch- do you consider your childhood happy despite that, or was it not happy? One question. The second <laughs> one was, um, given that you have stories about growing up in a church, how religious was your family? Oh, um, uh, my childhood was not happy, and they were incredibly religious, but also not because. Um, I think that they, they were using religion as a kind of, uh, um, a way to say, Hey, we're American. Like, it's like this weird thing to separate themselves from, um, the Buddhist traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, my family, uh, very, very strong Buddhist traditions and, and took a lot to get rid of that. And so, um, 
Christianity was something to sort of help uh, become more American. And then with my family, my parents in particular, um, being in the gay community became the ultimate statement about Americanism. And they, they bought a gay bookstore in the 70s and, and, and really stood by and with the gay community throughout Harvey Milk, throughout mm. AIDS. It was a very, very intense um, time. Um, so they were really part of that. That was the ultimate statement against... Um, a kind of Korean xenophobia that happens when immigrants come here. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was their, what was the, like, what were the views about sex in the house? Well, um, sexuality existed, but it, it was only valid between um, uh, couples or, you know, partners or um, married couples or, uh, yeah, like if you, you were gay and you had a boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, that that was acceptable. Mm. So the, that it only happened within committed relationships and it was very secretive. But it, that, my family's so different because they acknowledged that gay people existed. That's a, that's a very big deal for Koreans. They, they just have no um, desire to, to talk about sexuality in that way. Mm-hmm. And even in Korea, they have a gay pride parade, but... Sometimes people um, come in disguise. You know, they're still very uh, unwilling to come out at work, which is very difficult, too. Right. You identify as bisexual. Yes. Uh, at what age did you realize that? Um, I think, well, I, I really sort of felt when I was much younger that I, I felt like I was gay. And then later on, I realized that it was there was more, much much more to me than that. So... Um, I think I, I, well, and that, that was another reason why I got bullied a lot as a kid is that, um, you know, that, that because I was different, they could tell that I was gay. Mm-hmm. And so that How was a big problem. I think they were just, um, they just know, I think kids know if you're different. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, there was a lot of, um, accusations about it, you know, and, and, uh, you know, this kind of effort to make me feel really uncomfortable with my own sort of sexuality, which I didn't even realize uh, mm-hmm. existed then. And certainly didn't exist around the girls that I was like, I'm like, yeah, I might be gay, but not with you. Like, <laughs> like horrible. So there's a lot of, um, like there, there's a lot of suffering. I think that that's real. Like that's what I love. Um, the, it gets better campaign because mm-hmm. it really does get better. And then it's a wonderful thing to share that with others. Um, so it's it's just it's it's a rough thing when you're different in a kid. So did you have feelings for girls mostly mm-hmm. and then at a certain point you realized you liked men as well? Yes, yes. Yeah. I had more crushes on girls when I was younger and then I started having them on men much later, which was a surprise. Was it Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Was it confusing? Yeah, it was confusing then I like, "Oh, well I'm both. That's fine." Then mm-hmm. it became kind of easier like, "Oh, then I don't have to necessarily um decide i can kind of go wherever i want to right um there's a scene in your book i'm the one that i want where you're talking about reading 17 magazine and Mm -hmm. having this fantasy of getting ready for a dance Mm -hmm. but like the fantasy is the one served up in 17 magazine Mm -hmm. um basically being Lori loughlin i related so i'm i'm of the 17 magazine reading generation Uh, uh as well 17 and teen i related so strongly specifically to putting 1006 lotion in your troubled (laughs) t-zone i forgot completely about that but like i used to almost fetishize being when i it was when i was younger than the age that i would be if i were ever going to a, a dance or a date or something 
But it's like being a preteen and just having these fantasies of what it'll be like in my bedroom when I'm getting ready to be mm-hmm. a popular girl. It was yeah. all about like the way my bedroom would look. It would have like yeah. a lot of squiggles mm-hmm. and the shower and the towel and mm-hmm. the different hair and the whole thing. Yeah. It's crazy. I hadn't really thought much about it, but yeah. Yeah, like the experience is sold to us when we're really young so that we're we're going out as consumers because we've been raised to fetishize all of these things to buy. That right. we don't, your your experience isn't actually valid until you've bought all the stuff. So that, that those magazines are really sinister, and then they continue doing that for your entire life. Mm. You know, like it's just it's you're set up for it as a kid, and then you know you just buy into it, and you can't stop. Right. So your childhood was not happy. Mm-hmm. At what age did you? Is there a certain phase or age or time of life where you feel like oh, then things definitely got better? Oh, I think as as I um probably 15 when I started doing comedy in earnest and going and, and kind of doing all these weird jobs like the sex work thing. And then I also worked at, at uh, FAO Schwartz. I was the raggedy Ann at the FAO Schwartz. Uh-huh. So that there was all these like weird, like sort of kind of um, actory jobs that I was getting. <laughs> and so that to me um, was really exciting. I did a, a show called Totally Hidden Video where mm-hmm. I was um, I had like be fit, fitted with like a weird like an earpiece, and so I dressed up as a maid who couldn't speak English. I had so many jobs like for when I was a teenager where I couldn't speak English, <laughs> which was kind of a relief because I was so nervous all the time, so I didn't actually have to talk. But it's very it's it's all of these like very stereotypical, really like terrible roles. But that was all we had, you know. So mm-hmm. I was taking them. And had you wanted to be a performer since you were really young? Um, I don't know. I think I understood what it was that I, I, I understood when I saw Joan Rivers, I was probably like eight or nine and I saw her perform on TV. And then I realized that's what I wanted to do or that's what I was supposed to be. That mm-hmm. I, I, I saw her and I had a very clear understanding that I was a stand up comedian like her. And so I, I didn't actually put my plan into action until I was about 14, but then that's probably the right. But the, I That's was still so, pretty young. It's pretty young. Yeah. But I mean, it, I was so young when I understood that I was supposed to be a comedian that it was right after I had, I, the, the other thing I decided I was going to be was Wonder Woman. <laughs> I thought, oh, I'm going to be Wonder Woman. I really, and I started training where I would jump off the stairs. So I would, we had stairs. And so I would go do one stair, jump off one for one day and then two stairs the next day and three <laughs> stairs the next day. So I was building a uh-huh. training. So I was going to be Wonder Woman. And then I thought, oh no, I'm going to be a comedian. <laughs> Did you ever hurt yourself with this stairs thing? No, no, <laughs> I could have. I could have been very comedian <laughs> fast enough. <laughs> Thank goodness, yes. Um, your father, which I did not know until recently, and this is fascinating, is a Korean joke book mm-hmm. author, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, did you grow? Was there a lot of comedy around you growing up? I think there was a lot of um, talk about literature, and there was a lot of music, um, and there was this appreciation for wit, mm-hmm. but not necessarily like rocks, like funny time. But there was an appreciation for fine wit and writing and brevity and all of these things. Like the, well, they love what was clever. Mm-hmm. And so that was always pushed to me as that's the ideal is to be clever. Do you feel like part of your comedy comes from, from your father? Yeah, I could. I think my pres- precision. He um, he's still an author and and very precise in his writing, and um, 
So that to me is something that I think I get from him. Mm -hmm. Um, And then jumping gears again or switching gears again, you uh, did a show, All American Girl, Mm -hmm. and the experience was not good, right? Well, it was um, profound um, for a lot of reasons and then uh, very difficult. You know, it was a show, it was about an Asian American family. It was in 1994. And this time during television, you know, there was four networks. So when you had a TV show, it was a very, very big deal. And um, so we were supposed to be the first Asian-American family on television. And we were for a time. It was Mm -hmm. about a year. Um, But there was such a backlash for a number of reasons. um, Because I didn't look like what a television star should look like. Or, you know, that that was a very big deal that I, that people, television critics were very confused because I was too fat and that I was like not like what they were supposed to see on TV. And so there was all of this weird backlash. There's a lot of weird anger from um, the Korean American community, not necessarily the Korean American community. It was mostly like Korean community who had um, emigrated, Mm -hmm. who were furious. I think underneath it all was because I was not a man. That was really upsetting that actually somebody that the artist that came forward to do this was a raunchy female comedian. Mm -hmm. That was the most difficult thing, but they couldn't verbalize that. So they could just say, oh, we're just angry. And, um, and I, I would, I, I kind of was not the best at dealing with it. You know, um, there were this, uh, there's like this Korean, um, association that were threatening to boycott and protest at, at tapings. And so, and it was a Korean minister and I, would call these people at home and really yell at them about how they were holding back progress and they don't understand that we're invisible in television mm-hmm. and that if we don't get around this, that it's not, not going to continue, that if I fail at this, we won't have this ever again. And um, so I, I would really do a lot to sort of put them in their place, but that actually just worked against me because when you're a woman, you cannot speak against a man. In Korean society, that's just, uh, you could be put in prison. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in Korea, there is prison sentences for adultery. Like, if you cheat on your husband, you're going to prison. Not Jesus. not just, like, <laughs> jail, not just community service, prison. So this is the, this is the kind of society that I'm from. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of those values got brought over here. And so that, that I was such a... Um, um, a nail in the, you know, sort of like kind of what a thorn, thorn in their, their side. side yes. Yeah. So it's hard. And you, what, something led to you kind of crash dieting and then hurting your, going into kidney failure, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I refused to eat. Like I, I was, um, one of the problems is that the, the network was like very alarmed about my weight. Like I think that they, th- they were like such a big, it was like, makes so much. my soul die. I <laughs> know <laughs> it's horrible. They were so focused on my Asianness and that that sort of breaking it to everybody that I was Asian <laughs> that that they they real they forgot to make make mention that I was fat. So then they, they when they realized and saw me on camera I was fat. Which were they never, you really fat? No, I like I was probably about the same weight I am now, which is not fat. Not fat. But it was like so alarming to them that I was. Um, well, t- I'm television fat. I'm television obese, and I'm Asian um, like Guinness. Book of World's Records fat. Like, <laughs> there, there's never been a larger Asian. I mean, it's like so, like, I'm like what, like, uh, in Korea, I'm totally a TLC material. Like, I'm like that, like that. It's so alarming that mm, I can even, yeah. like, live. They're going to have to bring a forklift into your house yeah, to, to that, move you from room to room. That's what I'm uh, treated like in Korea. 
feel like I'm treated sort of like um, my 140-pound uh, life. You know, like it's so <laughs> alarming that I am 140 pounds and I, and I even admit it publicly mm. that it's really scary. So, But the, the when I was on the show, um, that was part of the problem is that they were very uh, upset that I was overweight. So they asked me, well, forced me to lose weight and and in a very short period forced of time. Forced you? Like was it a contractual thing? No, they couldn't really do that. You know, mm-hmm. you, they couldn't really say that, but they were just telling me, if you do not lose weight, we are not going to be able to do the show. <sighs> so you have to do whatever it takes to make sure that this happens. So I just didn't eat again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was, uh, I remember I was dating um, Garrett Wang, who was uh, who Sulu from uh, Star Trek Voyager. Oh, cool. And he was in my uh, trailer and... Um, I, I was I was going to the bathroom and I started urinating blood and I was screaming and so he took me to the doctor and uh it was it was it was pretty bad kidney failure stuff so mm. it it really hurt me for a long time I still have some issues from it but it was from extreme dieting and not eating um exercising also exercise anorexia um these all of these things in a row and all the stress too um really it, it pushed my health to, to a very dangerous place. Do you, f- if the show were being made now, do you feel like that still would have happened? Both, like, have you changed? And also, do you feel like television has changed? Yeah, television's changed. Um, I've changed. I don't think um, it would be possible for that to happen in the same way. I think that now also there's so much excitement around um this idea of a different family and, and great success from Fresh Off the Boat and, and Dr. Ken and, and uh, there's a new show that's a Doc, Daniel Henney, which is very exciting. Um, so there's, there's so many more opportunities to see Asian Americans on television and also um, a real sense of um, a kind of pride and excitement about diversity. So mm-hmm. th- there, there's a lot of change. Let's take some questions that listeners sent in over Twitter. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay. Charlie Groth would like to know, what is her favorite non-flying animal? Oh, um, dogs. Good I love dogs. <laughs> Me too. And you have, do you have three? I have two. Well, three oh. and those, one is in a box. The three, is, is her, her ashes are over there, but Aww. this little, this, this one died. She Aww. just died. Aww. So, um, she, I still think she's here. You know, but you, you can't really. What's funny that I thought there were three. It's like yeah. I noticed like, her you too. Know, like, <laughs> she's, she's still here. Um, Harmony Barnard wants to know, loved her on Drop Dead Diva. What was her favorite episode to film of Drop Dead Diva? Oh, um, huh. Well, we, uh, we had a great episode that was, we did a prom and it was, uh, it was about these gay kids who made their own prom. So it was really cute. And, um, I had a I had a big dress made by Rami Keshu, who was a rather famous designer. He he was on Project Runway, so he made me a beautiful dress that just looked like a bunch of um, petal, like it was a big pe- like flower petals, and very elaborate. And uh, we got to dance to an Amy Mann song. We could, all got to slow dance to an Amy Mann song while watching all these cute um, gay teenagers have a prom together. So that was a really nice one. 
Alyssa says, uh, I just saw Margaret Cho on Hollywood Medium and Robin Williams came through for her. Would love to hear more about their relationship. Well, Robin was um, in comedy in San Francisco. He was kind of, uh, he was like everybody's father. So, um, you know, he he uh, was the doorman at this comedy club that I lived across the street from. And so after he became famous, he would come back and do shows there. And so I, I would always do open mics there and he would always bump me. So I spent many years as a teenager in um, young adult having to follow Robin Williams every time I performed. It was so terrifying <laughs> and so hard, but he, he really taught me how to be a good comedian. And um, he was the kind of person where if you had problems with money, he would take care of it. Like he was paying people's rent. He was taking care of like your mom's operation. He was saving people's houses from foreclosure. You know, there was all this stuff that he was doing and um, everybody would ask him for help. Nobody ever asked him if they could help him. Mm-hmm. So this is something that's guilt that we live with forever. And so... Um, are Do you have that? Yeah, I definitely have that. I'll, although I have it a little bit less because I, I never openly asked him for anything. And also I was a little younger than a lot of the people that were really, really close to him. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of like had the distance of... Um, he's, he's of a different generation slightly. So um, yet at the same time, we all have this terrible collective guilt. So it, it was really rough. Um, I still don't feel a sense of closure or uh, peace around it. Um, a lot of us don't. I don't know if we ever will. I don't know if you can with suicide. No. You know? Did you have a sense of how bad things had gotten for him? No, not at all. Not at all. Also, I had not seen him for a long, long time. So mm-hmm. I didn't know. I had no idea. Um People knew, you know, of course, that, that he had depression, but not to the extent that he had it, you know, and it was very, it was very devastating. Right. Yeah. I had, um, Bobcat Goldthwait on my show. Yeah. He's great about, I think it was like right around the year anniversary Mm -hmm. and he was just still, I mean, obviously so, so. He's a really hard time. Yeah. He was there. He was there like right after, um, everything happened. So. He was there helping the family to make arrangements and dealing with them. And it was very uh, hard on him. You know, they pushed a lot of responsibility on him. Um, but he uh, he dealt with it. And, you know, he's an incredible, incredible guy. But it's just, it's all very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. This is going to be an awkward uh, subject change. John Rex says, if she could only watch one genre of porn, which would she choose? Oh, uh, hmm. Um, hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, I like amateur, I guess. Um, although, uh, there is a lot of artistry in, um, I, I like, uh, let's see. Well, I think, um, pegging is always really great. Um, pegging is mm, when. What appeals to you about it? Well, pegging, I like, like, the sort of, like, idea of, like, what kind of harness and, and, and shapes are you going to go for? What kind of thing are you going to go for? Usually, it's, it is kind of literally a peg, um, or, uh, some sort of a smaller kind of a dildo. But I like harnesses and I like kind of the different shapes. I really like a leg harness and I also really love a chin harness. It's kind of like, oh, you could put it on your forehead. It's like a unicorn. 
So so much I don't know. Yeah, there's there's the variety of harnesses, um, and then there's always like the pegging is always adorable because you also the, the, almost always you'll see them put an apron on. <laughs> so there's like. You know, there's there's like not not like um, intense forced feminization, more like um, very light forced feminization. So an apron mm-hmm. or something, which I think is so cute. Oh, I thought that was just in case there's any sort of mess. Oh no 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 no! <laughs> I don't know why, but they like, a they, bib. like pegging a, some some sometimes some people associate it with making it sort of like fifth reverse roles 50s mm-hmm. kind of like gender stereotypes. So you would make the man wear an apron, which I think is cute. Nicole Eckes says, what is your favorite trashy reality show to binge on? Oh, I like anything um, that's on uh, the crime channel. I guess it's ID. So I like um, all the all the different, you know, anything from like forensic files on down, you know, all of the different um, kinds of uh killer shows and like what what happened shows you know there's there's a there's one that's just called evil twins that's by my friend uh john glatt and he uh he just did evil twins there's there's just a, a lot of documentation it, it of happens evil ones. yeah killer twins and then there's um different ones where uh i think my favorite i guess it's bad to say favorite but my most um fascinating genre of crime shows is or crime books is when somebody is uh has somebody uh in their house for many many years so that would be like ariel castro or like joseph fritzel Mm. where they've had like a a captive for decades you know that to me is fascinating like how do you get that how how did you do that you know that's so crazy and then also the effects of being in captivity for that long is are you intrigued by the way that they eluded the law for so long or the brainwashing that has to happen or Both. the whole thing? Both, you know, how, um, you know, the, the, the people who are held captive somehow can't break free, you know, and then it becomes very psychological torture. But also, um, they'll, like Joseph Fritzl, he actually managed to have the government pay for all those additions on his house. So, because in um, in Austria, they will pay for a house improvements to encourage people to have like better property values and higher property values and a higher standard of living and all this stuff. So, Joseph Fritzl am- am- amazingly got a big tax bonus from creating that prison for his daughter. Um, so it's really it's really crazy. Do you um like lately? This thing that happens to me is I'll be sitting in front of my computer. And something disturbing and twisted will pop into my head and I'll be like, don't Google it, don't Google it, don't Google it. Mm-hmm. And my new rule with myself is that I just don't Google it <laughs> and I certainly don't type it into YouTube because I am so affected by yeah. disturbing images and stuff. Yeah. But if you like this channel, are you not that well, disturbed? It's, to me, that's more psychological and usually um, it's not so graphic. Usually it's like these, the, the you know, you don't see the... Um, uh, the bodies it's like so horrible but mm-hmm. then that's also fascinating too like what people do or like what what happens like um i got into like kind of a weird google thing the other day about cannibalism and i really shouldn't have that was really terrible you can find something to disturb you on any topic on the internet yeah not that i mean of course cannibalism would create something disturbing but i've like that was one of my things one time like what does human flesh taste like yeah there's accounts the i, I kind of think it would probably taste like spam i don't know why i don't know where i get the salty mm-hmm. It from, might. I don't know. But it's, I don't want to try it. Right. But it's no. so, uh, 
I just, I get really freaked out thinking about it. Or like when people feed uh, other people people and they don't tell them, mm. like that's really scary too. Or there's anything involving animals. I find no, scary. yeah, like I the, can't even like, yeah. It's so like, are the people feeding, like some no. s- scorned lover feeding a woman her pet? Oh, oh no, ah. it's like so horrible. Yeah, that's why I get mad on Facebook when people just post like yes. animal abuse stuff. It's like, I know that it happens and I'm definitely against it, but don't make me see it right that, you know, I'm yes. just scrolling down to look for cute dog videos. I don't want. I will unfollow people because of that. And then it makes me feel like I'm trying to ignore that yeah. horrible stuff happens, but it's not. I'm just trying to get through my day without feeling horrified. You can't horrified. win. You yeah. can't win. Like I just, I get so upset because I, I love animals, all animals. And then especially dogs who are so loving mm. and like they're just so pure and then anybody who would abuse. Like, I know. Like the, there's like the horrible, like you see like little kids doing things to dogs. Like I can't, no, I, I just, I get so upset. But yeah. Yeah. Same. Let's do just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me? Or everyone. Okay, so this is where people write in with things that they think or do and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? So we read them and then we say whether we also have these thoughts or these uh, do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Darla Garrett says, I love wearing long, flowy maxi dresses, but also feel like people think I'm pregnant. <laughs> I don't have any flowy maxi dresses, but I did go through a phase of wearing shirts with like an ampere waist yeah 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 and those i think made me look pregnant yeah i think my body makes me look pregnant that's (laughs) that's 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 the thing is never not the clothes really it's just right yeah yeah i'm with you on that one uh robert paulson says it's starbucks feel good about holding the door for someone followed by disappointment as they are now in front of me in line oh that's very rude though usually if that happens they will they usually would go, oh, please, and then yeah. put, let you go in front, you, usually. So th- that's um, I would be disappointed because you would expect the person right. to, to do that. I had – this was not one of my five – actually, I don't care. Um, so my husband and I are doing IVF right now, trying mm-hmm. to get pregnant, going to the fertility clinic, which is always packed. And mm-hmm. it's like no matter what time your appointment is, you will wait an hour and a half. So I was getting out of the elevator at the same time as this woman, and I made – and I was like – Walk, we were kind of walking next to each other, but I sped up to make sure I would get in there in front of her. Yeah, yeah, you got and it. it. Yeah, okay. I you feel got fine. It. I feel fine about that. No, I'm sure fine. she could tell because yeah. I was huffing and puffing. Like, you will not you will not get in front of me. <laughs> Bruised by Dawn says, when somebody pronounces herbs with a hard H, it's like fingers on a chalkboard. <laughs> herbs. herbs? I don't hear that very often. I never hear that. I think, you know, what bothers me more is huge. <gasps> yes! Huge. I was just going to say that. Yes, and not just Donald Trump. There's no. like a whole array of people who say huge. It's kind of mid-Atlantic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of Pennsylvania. It's it's like huge. It's, yeah. it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of mid-Atlantic, um, but not New York. I remember pointing it out at one point, and the people I was around like couldn't hear. I was like, huge or huge. And like to them, it's like as if I said huge or huge. Like they yeah, couldn't, they couldn't, they hear, couldn't it. hear it. Dork and Mindy says, love getting gift cards, but feels like a cop-out when giving them to other people. I never, I like getting them, and I think they're good gifts, and I, I never had other thoughts than that, and except that my husband feels like giving money or giving a gift card is a cop-out. 
I oh, don't see it that I way. I don't though. see it that way. And like, I've yet to redeem any gift card mm. that I've ever gotten. That like, I've never ever done it. But uh, I will. I have been known to give um, somebody a bag with three hundred one dollar bills in it, and it's a good feeling. I think. Well, it's an Asian thing. Asians have no problem giving money right. as gifts. It's actually very uh, fortuitous and auspicious. Like it's a nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very, uh, I, I'm very keen to do that. I think it's a fine. I think it's a good gift. I think it's great. Yeah. Also, especially my family, all of us are like anxious gift givers. Mm-hmm. So my mom, growing up, it was always your birthday's coming up. What do you want? For? Like you had to be very specific. Like basically mm. give basically shop for yourself and then she would just go out and get it and it became kind of a pain so it's just easier to ask for money i think it's nice and then if you have like crisp bills and and everything like if you go to the bank and get like crisp bills it's a it's a very nice gesture but in for koreans like what we do is like every new year's um people bow all of your um everybody younger than you will bow to you and you give them money and it's mm-hmm. a gift to start the year so I, I i i always love to do that and um so you get crisp bills and it's nice J Mo's for A Rose says, walk a bit faster to a public bathroom if I think someone else is going too, in case there's only one left of whatever I need. What could there only be one left like of? Like one square of toilet paper? <laughs> like one Because you're screwed seat if there's only cover? one. Yeah, exactly. Um I'll use I'll I'll use a seat cover for everything. So I have I've discovered that as well. As mm-hmm. long as you don't if you wipe hard, then it can be painful. But yeah, in general, yeah. much better than paper towels. Right. Def- oh, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever used a paper towel. I think I have before. And then not only are you like, well, now I'm in pain, but also you wonder, is this going to flush? What do I it's do with It's not going to flush. And then it's yeah. it's just a real scrapey. Yeah. It's not good. But you know what I can't do? I can't not wipe. I'm not one of those mm-hmm. women who's like, there's no toilet paper and I was on the side of a highway. So I just, mm. nature took its course. Like, I can't do that. Oh, you can't. Yeah. That to me is, it's it's always very like, what, how it's do I, wet. It's, yeah. How do you just, I just would sit there for a while. Yeah. The nightmare is if where you go number two. Oh. And there's not, that just. Oh my God. I, that's a nightmare. Right. Cause you're really rolling the dice. Yeah. Maybe it'll be one that leaves you cleaner than before. Yeah. But, but not likely. likely not. No. <sighs> Has that happened to you? Mm-hmm. Well, your persimmon diet story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That has happened. But that 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 was a really extreme situation. But uh, uh, I think, um, yeah, that has happened before where I didn't have paper and it was just a nightmare. And I'm still mm-hmm. wiping from it. <laughs> <laughs> Harmony Barnard says, every time I see a wanted sketch on the news, I think they look familiar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't had that. Thankfully, it seems like something I would have, though. Yeah, like you, you try to make some, you try to project a face on there. You yeah. try to project somebody in there. I think yes, for sure. Casey Baker says, reminding me to tip by a message at the bottom of a receipt em- or envelope in hotel room, etc., makes me resent having to. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I really mind. I actually don't mind when the receipt will tell you like this is what twenty percent is. Oh yeah, like, that find- helps me because I I don't ever know. Yeah, like I could still can't figure it out. What so that I, helps. Here's what I never I never know how to handle this room service in a hotel where they've automatically added gratuity. I mm-hmm. still feel like I need to tip on top of it. 
Well, it depends. It depends on what you're getting. You know, if it's just a small thing where they're, you know, it's just bringing it up to you or if they set up a table or right. if it's sort of a big kind of thing. Like it just, I sort of let the situation dictate, but they, they do already charge you um, a, a service charge yeah. and also uh, uh, added gratuity onto that. Right. So it just sort of depends on what you ask them to do. Okay. I'll go situation by situation. Jay Caravan says, when an automatic door doesn't open for me right away, I start to doubt if I exist. I have this with any sort of touchscreen or like mm-hmm. any sort of technology doesn't acknowledge me. Mm-hmm. It, I don't doubt if I exist, but I get upset. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they're like the water won't turn on unless mm. you just sort of shake wildly in front of it. It's <laughs> yes. upsetting. And lastly, Shannon Hurley says, I think it's weird when a woman refers to a female friend as a girlfriend, regardless of gender. I always just say friend. You know, is that a generational thing? Because I feel like mm. my mom and all her friends would refer to their friends as my girlfriend. Yeah. Whereas I just say friend too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is generational that you would, you had, um, a sort of a need to, uh, name the gender in order to show that you were not doing something you shouldn't be doing. I don't know, maybe. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah, That's what it is. That's what they, they they sort of put it in the, sort of like put that kind of, it's a sort of a puritanical reflection of like that that time. Right. Like, because if you just say friend, someone might be like, well, what kind of friend? Yeah. Like there was always a need to um, define the relationship between the people always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. in, in, you know, in that, in that era. So, cause you, you're sort of marriage minded or, you know, always thinking like, where am I in society? Right. That makes sense. You guys, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, which you are because they have everything, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. Thank you so much for your Amazon support. Thank you for your PayPal support. Um, if you want a t-shirt, which you do go to alisonrosen.com, click on the store. We also have ringtones. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. And bonus episodes, just all sorts of stuff. Follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. Email us, A-R-I-Y-N-B-F show at gmail.com. Margaret Cho, it was so wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let everyone know... Uh, what they should look out for and where they should go to find you. Um, well, I am on the online margaretcho.com. I'm always on Twitter at Margaret Cho. I'm on Facebook. Um, my album comes out in a- April 29th and, uh, it's American, um, myth. American myth and it's exciting. I have some videos coming out too, um, which is really exciting too. So check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much, listeners. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? Time, but now we gotta go